0: So at seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. kefu
1: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Running Rugby podcast. We've had round three of Super Rugby in the books, a little bit of loss of momentum for the Australian teams with only one team gaining success, uh, the Rebels down in Melbourne. Uh, We also have some news out of the Global Rapid Rugby showcase, the actual itinerary being announced and more ideas around World League being planned. Toby and Leo here uh, in with me early to break it all down as always and I think we'll start with this. Global Rapid Rugby Showcase. So we've finally got a bit of an announcement. We've got a few different matches for the Western Force, first playing a World 15 team towards the end of this month on the 22nd of March, and then going on a bit of an Asian Showcase round-robin team against Singapore and and Hong Kong. That's the South China Tigers and the Asian Pacific Dragons before they move on to the Pacific Showcase with Fiji and Samoa, again a round-robin team home and away games so a lot of games for the Western Force I think they get up to about 10 games this year now
2: boys what do you think of this? It sounds interesting um, I guess the year before presumably we get the full Global rapid rugby competition it will be nice to see where those teams sit uh, relative to an established team like Western Force so we get a sample of Singapore South China who we don't know a lot about we get to see how the Force are going relative to what would be presumably international teams, um, and then a Barbarians team, is it? Like the, the World 15, that must be after the Six Nations is wrapped up?
1: Yeah, so Robbie Deans is coaching the World 15 team. Uh, the only thing that's currently been announced is that Digby Iwani will be a part of it, as as well as Andy Ellis, former All Blacks.
2: Okay, so we blow the dust off Digby to see him again, first time in a while.
1: It's, um, I don't know, like,
0: okay, I, I get this the fact that next year hopefully it's it's going to be a lot more extensive the kind of teams involved and we're going to know a lot more about it but i'm just having a look here and the asia pacific dragons from singapore so they're playing in a stadium which has a capacity of 3800 people so i know I, I think they're they're quite i guess um they're being a bit conservative with you know trying to anticipate the number of people that will be at games. Because we saw even at the Sunwolves game in, in Singapore, the stadium was pretty much empty. Mm. Um, and that's that's with an established super rugby team. So I think probably a little bit pensive in terms of the the amount of interest there in Singapore and trying to get, I guess, the expat community really latched onto this new team. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what how it progresses even in this showcase series and, um, Similar story in Hong Kong. I think the the sports ground, the Aberdeen sports ground, where they're playing, is about 9,000 people for that stadium, and parents a little bit out of the way to get to. So I think there'll be some challenges logistically for the fans. Um, but I think it's it's good to have you know some of these games in place. You've got uh, you know a name to a team, so you can actually start supporting that team. There'll be merchandise brought out. So I think it's good to actually get at least a few of those teams kind of out out and exposed to the media and get a bit of coverage around that.
1: Yeah, and I guess they also want to be convincing players to come play in this competition, so they need to have a little bit more polish sort of on it now before the the World Cup wraps up and a lot of players leave sort of their current contracts. Yeah. So this is uh, 10 games announced for the Western Force. I just have a question for you guys. Who do you think wins more games this year out of the 10 games the Western Force have? or the entire Super Rugby season for
0: the Sunwolves? Who wins more games? I'm definitely taking the force. I think these guys are a pretty well-established squad now. They've been trading a lot, playing for the Perth Spirit in the NRC. Um, And there's a bit of talent across their squad, I think. Even though the Sunwolves have looked like they're picking up things now, um, there'll be some pretty easy games, I think, in there for the force, So I would take them.
2: I think it's probably going to be close. The Sunwolves are definitely going to pick up Oh, I think they're going to pick up at least a couple more wins this year than they did last year. Um, but Force would probably have the run in those four games against the Singapore and, and South China teams. So if you count those as four wins, we don't know what that World Fifteen is going to look like. I think the Force are probably pit them by one.
1: Ooh, I'm not so sure, boys. I reckon they might have a bit more trouble with that Asia Pacific Dragons team. I've seen a lot of uh, New Zealand sort of signings for that team. Um, being announced this year, and they look like they've been training hard, but definitely an interesting one to keep an eye out. So, first game of the season is that against that World Fifteen team, 22nd of March. The other idea that's been coming up lately this week is this idea of a World League, a combined international tournament with the Northern Hemisphere and Southern Hemisphere. And I know what you're thinking, right? That that's the World Cup, right? But they want to do an annual version of that with just the top 12. Nations um, playing each year, uh, but not actually the top 12 nations because they want to pick and choose who's going to give them the best sort of economical value. so six nations teams, the rugby championship team, uh, plus people like Japan and USA to gain the markets. but it sounds a little bit like they're they're snubbing the uh, the Pacific island teams a little bit in there, so there's been a lot of uh, throwback in the media against this idea.
0: I think it probably speaks to the amount of you know, desperation there is about making money and really profiting off this rugby model. And there's too many maybe friendlies at the moment between international teams and there's kind of the perspective of certain fans that these games actually don't matter. But, you know, rankings do matter just year to year because that kind of feeds into the next World Cup. And I'm just worried with this competition or proposed league, whatever they want to call it, um, that it'll take a bit of shine off the Rugby World Cup as well. So I'm, I'm not... At all for it, and I think that it needs to be rethought completely.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's always going to be difficult when you've got the the, ge, the player generating potential of, of the Pacific Islands and and trying to go into uh, more competitions, more get more competitive games for them when uh, there's just such a disparity between the facilities and infrastructure and things in those island nations. They haven't had the investment that all the major nations have. And really, if they're going to put in any uh, World League model and, and not include these guys, I think they're going to get a lot of pushback. Uh, I would much rather them include the Pacific Islands in some fashion. And at some point, the, the richer nations are going to have to subsidize the the poorer nations to, to bring them up to standard because where would the game be without the Pacific Island nations? You just Every team is carrying Pacific Island nation players give them the infrastructure and support they need and the the players will stay the the skills will improve and and they should be a more competitive outfit given time.
1: Mm, yeah, there definitely doesn't seem like many of the players and coaches are happy with uh, them being excluded or with the current model that's been proposed. So we'll see we'll keep you updated on what progresses in that. So let's get into the Super Rugby round and this was round 3 and we'll get into our players of the round and Toby, you missed out
0: last week, so we'll start with you. Who was yours? Mate, it was a pretty easy choice for me. I, I tuned in early on, or my time early on Friday, and um, saw the Hurricanes play the Brumbies, and welcome back Nani Laomarpia. It was just such a remarkable performance from him. Um, just absolute power, precision, great passes, uh, direct lines in running, and, and great defense by by him. And, you know, scoring, what he score? Three tries, was it, I think? Yep,
1: yep, three
0: tries. Got the hat-trick. Um, you know, that's the, there's going to be a lot of competition in the centres for the All Blacks this year, and a performance like that really puts his name on the map again because he fell out of favour a little bit with the the All Blacks, and he had an injury last year. So, you know, he really announced his return with that performance.
1: Yeah, definitely, it was uh, it was a bit depressing watching watching him do it against the Brumbies, but yeah, you can't deny a remarkable performance there.
2: Leo, what do you have? Look, I couldn't pick an individual player. Um, if I had to, it would have been Hayden Parker or Beaver, but the the whole Sunwolves team was just a really impressive win for them, uh, playing as a unit and beating a team which put 61 points on them last year. Um, and the Chiefs, I don't know what happened has happened to them. They they struggled last year with injury, and they came through it pretty strongly this year. They haven't got it. Um, Sunwolves were their first play win ever. Uh, and I think it's just the the early signs of a team that's that's rising in our in our Super Rugby competition. There's there's other teams that are now going to have to really see that as a, a game they have to play full strength against. It's not an opportunity to rest rest players anymore. It's it's got to be taken seriously.
1: Yeah, definitely not. Jared Heever is a quick boy as well. Um, definitely some some problems with the Chiefs' defence, especially to let him through for that try this week. But. Yeah, he keeps scoring, and the Sunwolves, that's amazing for them to, to win on the road for the first win of the season in round three. Um, for myself, though, I waited till the last game of the round, so I chose Ramiro Moyano. The, the absolute speedster from the Haguar is, uh versus the Blues in this game, and he was really the difference getting two tries in this. And if you haven't watched the highlights, you should have a look, because uh, his first try, he gets the ball about 40 metres out, Stands up, middle of the field, has Rico Iwani right in front of him and just takes him on the outside and burns about four of the Blues players. So the guy had some sparks of some great play last year, but it was just amazing. He turned this game and made sure the Haguaros went away with a win there. So well done to Ramiro Moyano as well. All right, let's get into our first game of the round. And as as we mentioned briefly, the Hurricanes had the Brumbies up to Wellington and... Oh, a difficult one for the Brumbies here after all the excitement, all the all the hype after last week's win and smashing win over the Chiefs, uh, the Hurricanes came out and oh, they absolutely blitzed the Brumbies here at home. A full strength Hurricanes on the back of Bowden Barrett again. Uh, the Hurricanes took this one 43 to the Brumbies 13.
0: Yeah, look, I think it was easy to get carried away with the Brumbies given their performance last week and I certainly was very impressed with that game. Um, but everything went right for them last week and it was probably one of their best games in the last five years. So coming into into New Zealand, it's never easy. Uh, and the fact that the Hurricanes had Laumalpi back, they had Barrett back. Um, and their forwards look a lot more... I, I guess they're working together a bit better now. Um, someone that caught my eye, apart from Artie Severe in that back row, is... Um, I've forgotten his name now. Carifi. De Plessis Karifi, yeah. Like... I don't know. There's something about this guy. He's got a lot of aggression. He's very raw, but you can see kind of him, he, even over three weeks, you can see his performances developing. And they they must have been impressed by him too because they shifted Artie Sevilla to number eight. So that opened up the seven position for him. Um, so it's hard when they lost someone like Brad Shields out of that back row, but you see guys like that coming through that are quite young and raw. And I think, um, you know, the Hurricanes, a couple more of them in that forward pack and they'll be right back on track. They're still, I think their backs probably still. You can see a bit of more improvement problem from them, um, but just some of the passing in this game from guys like TJ Perenara, you know Lao Marpi, um, even yeah, just support play from Artie Seveira as well. It's just they seem like they would just had another gear that uh, when compared to the Brumbies, so it's it's not hard to see why the Brumbies just couldn't match them.
2: And we did forecast it a bit last week. We knew that this was going to be a much tougher challenge with Bowden Barrett coming back to lead the troops and with that TJ and Lamarby coming off the bench that, that inside uh, group of backs to, to set up a lot of play was going to be a much much different uh, creature to the Hurricanes' previous two games. Uh, the, Brumbies, the Brumbies looked like themselves. They mauled the ball pretty well so that, that wasn't really an issue but it was, it was much of the work outside those set pieces, and and the amount of turnovers that cost the Brumbies. They they were kept handing the ball back to the to the Hurricanes, and and they didn't get much of a rub from the referees, which I'll mention in a bit. But um, yeah, it was, it was very different from previous the previous week, where all the one on one tackles were made. Uh, there was a lot of contests, and Pete Samu pilfering at the ruck um, It went all the other direction uh, for them this week. They lost turnovers. Uh, and they, they, they gave up ground when they were kicking for touching from penalties, so to kicking too deep uh, on one occasion, completely missing the sideline, which is a bit embarrassing for him. That's sort of what I expected, that, that potentially the Brumbies' game last week was an outlier. They weren't ready to perform like that week in, week out. An interesting stat of hand cross, boys, when I was reviewing this game, the Brumbies are actually leading the comp with 32 offloads this year. If we'd asked, and if if we'd asked each other, who do we think's going to be offloading the ball most this year? I don't think an Australian team would have come on the top three or five. It would be New Zealand teams, primarily, that that seem to get away with that. But the Romans have successfully offloaded the ball thirty times this year, so that's the game they're trying to play. And I guess turnovers are probably
0: yeah. the turnovers in this game was ridicu- were ridiculous from both teams. I was very sloppy um, in terms of handling. The Hurricanes seem to deal with that a little bit better. But, yeah, you're right. I think the, the Brumbies are trying to be a bit more sporadic in their play while still kind of holding on to their set piece and being very strong and tight when they need to be. Um, but, yeah, it was just too sloppy in that back line for the Brumbies, and they just got carved up by a classier, I think, Hurricanes team.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so where to where to next? I think they've just got to forget this one. I think this is just, you know, you go play a really good team in New Zealand, Mm-hmm. Um, you've just got to. Sometimes this happens. But yeah.
1: Yeah, well, when it takes three or four people to tackle people like La Marpie or Artie Severe, I swear a few times Artie Severe was just tackled and then just got up and kept going, and the ref yes. was just fine with it and for some this reason. it's
2: exactly what I was going to mention. Artie Severe twice was tackled and got up and then got tackled again and then got up again. So he was actually held down twice yeah. in one tackle, and the refs allowed to keep playing. You can't allow I, guy who's as explosive as Sevilla one run in three separate runs where he's basically over the game line as soon as he gets up. And then you know, he's only down on one knee, but that's you gotta apply the rules. Hmm. And that, that those two occasions, those was critical moments for the for the Brumbies. It was it was early enough in the game the first time that they weren't out of touch yet. Um, and between that and then some of the malls dragged down and, and no call on those even the, even the substitute referee that came in the second half, they, they continued making similar mistakes. So that was really frustrating to watch. I thought the Brumbies had
1: Yeah, the, the Hurricanes had a good game plan in this though as well, even when they weren't just bursting through um, with their big men. Barrett was just pinning the Brumbies back down in their 22 with some really good kicks. So they really didn't allow any territory for the Brumbies there. The question I want to ask you boys is, this was a game they had without uh, Geordie Barrett. And I think they looked better. I don't know if it's just because you're adding Bowden Barrett, but I'm not sure Jordy Barrett's been really making anything more of that backline when he's there in in at least recent times and the end of last season.
0: Yeah, tt was impressive at the back, and that's that's the thing. Once you get give a guy an opportunity, if, if Jordy's a bit flat early on in the season and and he misses a game, and then a guy like this comes out and performs, then it's going to be hard to displace him. So. You know, Ben Lamb on one wing and Vince Arceau on the other also had good performances. You know, Geordie might might have trouble getting back into that back line. He can play 13, he can play 15, he can probably even play on the wing if he needs to. But at the moment, you know, with a performance like that, you can see that the Canes retaining those those personnel on the back line. So hmm. I agree with you, though. I, th- I think Geordie is a little bit out of form, and maybe that speaks to a long season last year. But If he came back, I'd,
2: I wouldn't... Upset seeing go to the wing even just to just to simplify his role in the game he brings uh, to the team that maybe some of those other back three don't is the kicking game. Um, He's a spare place kicker and and he's got a pretty decent boot. So I agree that I think the I think the existing team there from that game is possibly their best lineup unless he comes back into great form.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think like Arch uh, to be honest with Perinara Barrett Laomapi and Proctor I think that's your 9-13 to 13 set for the rest of the season You know, provided there aren't any injuries mm-hmm. um, and then it's just the back three I think Lamb probably stays on that blind wing and then there's probably two positions really where they can rotate through players but the rest of them like Laomapi and Proctor are always so productive together
1: yeah they're just really hard to stop aren't they exactly mm. so then we'll move on and the, another game that was a little bit A little bit nicer for us to watch, and that's the Rebels coming back off their bye versus the Highlanders. Definitely an understrength Highlanders, missing the likes of Luke Luke Whitelock, Aaron Smith, Ben Smith, uh, and down in Melbourne. And the Rebels, they looked a little bit shaky at times in this game, but managed to hold on to their lead. Uh, Quade Cooper turning in a reasonable performance to to get his team in front here and hold on and win this one 24-19.
0: Yeah, this is an interesting game because the Rebels were pretty hot in that first half, and Highlanders similarly came out pretty strong in the first say 10-15 minutes. But Rebels, um, I feel like they'll be a little bit disappointed with that second half they put in, and maybe they were they were sitting back a bit with the lead that they had. But the Highlanders, you're right, like they're missing so many All Blacks, so much class across their whole team. So. 24-19 against a depleted Highlanders outfit. I, I'm not sure the Rebels would be completely content, but they got the win. Um, they remain undefeated, and that's what it's important, you know, getting these these games where, you know, even if you're not at your best, you still pull off and you know you come out
2: with a win. Yeah, it was more of a mental challenge this week. I feel for the, the Rebels. They definitely had the the player stock to to beat an understrength Highlanders, which we know is a is a result of this resting system. They they got themselves into this position to a degree with two tricky games early in the season where they couldn't put teams away and and bench their stars early enough to get them into the third match. And the Rebels looked really solid. They they were good all around the park again, but they they just didn't look like they had the composure to close out this game. You know, get it out to like a two try lead. Uh, they they definitely sort of started looking like they were defending a lead. They kicked the ball back to the the Highlanders, which made me feel like they'd rather play the territory down the field than just try and suffocate Highlanders by not giving them any ball. We know the Highlanders. Highlanders can challenge any team with bizarre possession stats, like 70-30 possession stats. The Highlanders have still managed to beat teams with barely any ball. So really, for, for a team like that, uh, you want to keep the ball out of their hands. And one thing I noticed, I was going through some, some stats for this game as well, and for the season so far, and albeit the Rebels have only had two games, but they're actually last in carries. And if you gave them half as many again, uh, the 191 they've already got, they're still sort of low down in the in the list. And it suggests that maybe they're not uh, putting phases together. Um, they're, they're getting points off a few phases, which is good when you're trying to score and, and it's going well, but it, it doesn't look like they're holding the ball for very long. Um, particularly late in the game when they're trying to suffocate the opposition, something they're going to need to learn to do yeah. when they're up against full-strength opposition.
1: Look, I liked what I saw, again, from a lot of the things for the Rebels. They did welcome back a few injured stars. Adam Coleman returned to the field, uh, put on a nice hit for his first sort of involvement in the game, as well as Reese Hodge coming back on. I do like what the Rebels have done with in terms of their forwards, Matt Phillip and Luke Jones getting very involved from the second row. Uh, two big sort of strong ball runners there and good hands as well. Is he nice at Ryanie? I think he's already got the wallaby look about him. Um, I'm sure Czech has been licking his lips, reading, uh, watching what this boy has been doing in terms of running the ball in these first couple of rounds. Uh, but similarly, some of these young guys in the Highlanders as well have been really impressing me. Josh Wining who got relegated from 10 to 15 in this game. Uh, didn't get as involved as he normally did, but I think he's going to be a special prospect moving forward as well.
0: Yeah, Uwani. You'd think he'd go back to number ten. I think Bryn Gatlin was serviceable, but even Marty Banks seemed to control the game a bit, maybe a bit better than Gatlin. Yeah, so true. I think Uwani should go back to ten. And you know, of course, they're going to welcome back Ben Smith at the back there. So it's going to be. I think this this Highlanders team is a good team, and, and when they're at full strength, I think they can beat most teams in the competition. So. The Rebels are probably lucky they didn't play their full-strength team in this one because they would have lost the game if they put in that kind of performance in the mm-hmm. second half. So, um, But like I said, it's you just got to play what's in front of you, and they did enough, um, and that's important. But I think Vessels will know that, and they'll improve little things during the week, and you got the, they got the Brumbies coming up again.
1: Yeah, I do get the sense that the 2018 Rebels of last year wouldn't have been able to sort of have the composure to close this one out, but with Genier and Quaid they sort of are a bit more trusting of their options of their play and structure and they keep to it a little bit longer and that definitely helps them.
0: Yeah, Arch. I think look, Billy Meeks impressive. I think again, he's shown a He's been a lot more consistent this year and Tom English showing a lot of poise there at 13, direct running and, and good defensive patterns mm-hmm. there. Um, And Hale Petty, particularly like he just has that kind of calming effect to any back line. He talks well and he, He never seems to rush. He always has plenty of time to make decisions and had a few runs back like, say, Ben Smith would. Um, So I was impressed with him as well. I think he's, at full fitness, he's still probably one of the best fullbacks going around.
1: And Jack Maddox continued to impress. Um, Team high, defenders beaten of six in this game, uh, just in front of Shannon Vrizel who had another strong game, getting that first try two minutes into the game. His name's going to keep coming up, boys.
0: He's good, he nearly had two and I think it just got ripped out on the line there at the end yeah, by Ruru or some of like the guys.
1: That's, that's right, by Michael Ruru who saved that one for them because yeah, the Rebels were in all sorts there. But win for the Rebels, uh, we can't say as much for the Reds unfortunately. Despite my tipping efforts, uh, they weren't able to take down the Crusaders on Saturday night back home in Suncorp. But the Crusaders make it 18 games straight uh, that they've won as they
2: take this one, 22-12. I don't know if they they lost a bit of enthusiasm and, and were a bit shaken when Jordan Patea went off fairly early. Um, I think he was a fairly integral player in their back line now and it just, things just seemed to slow down and definitely the ball didn't flow around the back line as well once, once he'd stepped away. We didn't have him alongside Karevi to really test the Crusaders' back line, which was missing people like Ryan Crotty as well. So opportunity may be missed for, for the Reds to take on uh, this understrength Crusaders. Uh, the Crusaders didn't feel particularly like they were playing at, at full intensity either. They they almost looked like they were playing as hard as they needed to. And, and the Reds just couldn't really lift and, and bring more energy. Um, there wasn't enough of a contest for them at the Ruck and their basics were a bit sloppy. So I would suggest that they need to go for more turnovers. they they need to challenge harder because they they've got the least turnovers of any other team, uh, equal with the Waratahs, um, and they're also the least penalised team in the comps. So maybe they're not playing close enough to the Edge Boys. Would you would you suggest that they should maybe get a bit closer to the to the referees' whistle in in trying to win a few more turnovers and and take the chance that lose a couple more penalties against you each game? Yeah,
0: I think even even though. Liam Wright was pretty decent in this game they don't really have a, a proper pilfering seven in the team um and Tupou he used to pilfer more I didn't see him do much in this game so there's not actually many guys in that in that forward pack that actually have, are a guys that can steal the ball or the ruck I think they have pretty good aggression generally they were probably a little less aggressive in this game if anything but you're right maybe they're trying maybe a focus of theirs was to to make sure their discipline was good but it by doing that, yeah, maybe you do, you're do. you a step back and you're not quite aggressive enough in, um, you know, just in being your line too speed, conservative. But, yeah, but I think they're still making the hits. Maybe they're just the line speed needs to improve um, to put pressure on on the other team because I, I wasn't impressed with the Crusaders at all in this game. You know, they there were a few plays where they looked really good, but, you know, they did look like a depleted outfit and then they looked like they were cruising a bit. From my perspective, though, the Reds, I don't know, they need to do something in terms of their playmaking because I think Hamish Stewart, was he was just standing out on the fringes. He wasn't asserting himself on the game. Even when he got the ball, he just didn't seem to do much with it. He took it to the line. He didn't try and deceive with any footwork. He just seemed to take the tackle. Um, and I know that maybe he's more considered a defensive number 10 in some ways and um, more strategic rather than flashy, but... He just didn't seem to be in the game
2: at all. I mean, Hegarty's actually playing first receiver for most of the game. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, so yeah. Saw, maybe, maybe that's trying
2: to bring a senior player in closer to the action to, to give direction. Like That's the Jono Lance role from last year, which, yeah. which was really valuable to, to parry off the, the young Hamish Stewart before he got sort of a full start. But um, I'm not feeling the same thing from Hegarty as we got from John O last year. And um, uh, Heggie playing under a bit of duress this week With a popped rib for the entire second half Maybe not in a position to assert himself
1: Yes, yeah. a popped rib Which makes no sense medically uh, You can't pop a rib He's either fractured a rib In which case he's probably not playing Or he's like, maybe bruised some like, cartilage I don't know what Fox Sports commentary We're really talking about with him having a popped rib And oh, he'll just play through it though but
2: anyway. Huh. Well, presumably yeah, something that? the Reds staff have told them because you're not going to come up with that on your own. Well, it's, it's probably Natalie that's...
0: Yonides has come up with that, <laughs> <laughs> if anything. Um, yeah, look, I, whatever they're doing, it's not working. Hegarty, I think, is better at the back playing more of a sweeper role like Dane Hallett-Petty or something. If anything, I'd like to see Duncan Paye come in at number 10 um, and see if that could work with um, perhaps... Karevi moving in and f Sot f- so- uh, I can't even say his name, Chris F Sortia. Oh, thirteen again. Yeah. I don't I don't know, it just it just seems like by having Hegarty being at first receiver so consistently, you're playing Hamish Stewart out of the game. It wasn't like they were rotating <laughs> like the Tars tend to do with K B and and Foley. They didn't seem to be working well together and going each side of the pitch. It was just, you know, Hamish Stewart hanging out in the centres. And Haggerty just kind of, you know, doing a few things there at first receiver, but not really looking to attack. And he wasn't creating much. I, I just don't think mm. they were creating much at all. And you can see that they just couldn't score points. So they had this problem last year, though, in terms of actually being able to score enough points to win these games.
2: It did look like the Henschel was sitting in the traditional fullback role. So maybe Haggerty's just. Plugging up the middle with the, the forward runners and the inside balls and then once once they get out wide and there's a bit of a blind side or a short side opportunity, that's where they get Hamish Stewart involved where it's sort of quick hands quick decisions and trying to land a pass on a man through a and letting Hegarty just grind away in the centre. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think it's worked particularly well. It's, it might be early days. Two games in and we've seen you know a good game and a bad game might be too early to change so we might have to watch it for another couple of weeks.
0: Yeah. They look so much better against the Highlanders, though. I know their intensity yeah. was just so much better. First
2: game of the season, they're up for it. Maybe yeah. this game, they might have... I don't know. It might have don't been know the know heat as well
0: them. in Brisbane. Like, it was meant to be pretty hot, so maybe that just yeah, just
2: killed the game in terms of the intensity a bit. What do we think of Lucan's yellow? He's, he's running back after the Crusaders get over the advantage lines. The whole stream of forwards trailing back. Admittedly, he's not you know, sprinting back and maybe you could have got there faster. But there's always going to be a risk of a retreating player um, getting in the way if the half chooses to go in their direction and throw the ball at them. Do we think that should be a yellow card when the rest of the team is standing there in defence? It's not really like it's a professional foul. It's a bit sloppy. I feel like a penalty was would have been plenty in that situation. Yeah, yeah and they hadn't...
1: I thought it was especially harsh on yeah on the man formerly known as Luke Yantui. and the ref sort of went oh it's it's it was a line break and that was his sort of thoughts behind it because he because it was line break and I'm like but that that's the whole reason that people are going to be slow to get back on side because the guy's got past the line and so you have more of a time and I think it's a bit bit sneaky on Bryn Hall's part um, he's he's one of these halfbacks that. Like like what people like Aaron Smith can do. They will look for the opportunity to milk a penalty when they're able to. And there was definitely a chance that he could have thrown that ball without hitting Lucan Tovey, but he's seen him wandering back offside, maybe maybe slightly slow. Um, otherwise, he may have been not able to do it, but uh, he's fired the ball straight at him to, to, to milk a penalty. And AJ Jacobs bit. Yeah, and Lucan, that... wasn't,
0: Lucan was nearly back. Like He was almost back to where the ruck was. And he was he was moving actually back from a, a mall that just collapsed, so like he there were other players moving back at the same time, and he had his back to the play. He wasn't intentionally trying to get in the way. I just think it's ridiculous to to hand out a yellow like that.
2: I, I just think you're going to see that situation potentially in games so often that if we now start giving out yellow cards because the half back managed to nail a guy as he retreats, you're setting a bad precedent. Uh, you're also not
0: allowed intentionally to do that as a halfback yeah, anymore.
2: But, so. but it's like in any sport where you're not supposed to do things intentionally, but good players can make it look like it was it was incidental. Um, mm-hmm. And it's more frustrating when you see a, an actual professional foul of Braden Enor obstructing McMahon as he chips through behind. Mm-hmm. Enor moving into his line, knocks him over, takes him out of the chase completely. And they didn't even, I think they brought the penalty up because the referee realised oh, the penalty back there because he's playing at advantage, um, or we can move it up to where that happened. No consideration to that being a card, and that felt like it had a much bigger impact on that phase. So that could have,
0: yeah, that could have easily been a yellow mm, because he just so he he took him out like intentionally yeah, took him out, the, moved straight into him, knocked him over,
2: moved so, after the kick, moved out and and really drove. So yeah,
0: in that, a test that's match, different. that's a yellow card. So yeah. Yeah. Usually we early on in the season last year we saw Super Rugby being a lot more tough on these sort of infringements and be handing out cards a lot more liberally and, and and this year it just seems like I don't I don't think it's a good thing to be handing out cards, but something like that, like it's a lot more obvious than what Lucan did, so mm.
1: it's not well, good refereeing. It's it's AJ Jacob's second game as primary reference Super Rugby, so um, he's obviously still finding a little bit of that level of what he wants to punish and what he doesn't. The Reds, as well, there was a lot of hype made about sort of Taniella Tupo going back up against Joe Moody. Um, They hadn't played the Crusaders in 2018, but back in 2017, that apparently that game is what showed Taniella Tupo that he needed to work on his scrummaging and what he did last year, but didn't make much of a difference, not just for Tupo, but for the whole team, because the Reds got pretty monstered in in most scrums in this game.
0: Yeah, Yeah. you don't. I wonder if it's Harry Hawkins coming in maybe more as a bit of a lightweight in terms of that second row. I know he's got the height, but I actually don't mind having Lucan in it at second row and um, possibly saying bring Higginbotham back at number eight. Angus got young at six. I feel like that's a better combination, but um, I don't know. Even the loose head prop there, he's very inexperienced. It's only his second game of Super Rugby, so mm. maybe that was a factor as well.
1: Definitely not quite up to standard. There is a bit of news about Jordan Pate's injury, unfortunately, Uh, He will be out for the Super Rugby season. He has a Liz Frank fracture of that foot. Um, So will potentially be fit to be in consideration later in the year for the Wallabies. But without any sort of play coming into uh, the World Cup and things, it's making it a very tough, tough road for him to get into the green and gold this year. Yeah, and it was really
0: encouraging, right, to see him even playing 13 and, and doing so well. Because that's a position where we need some depth as well. Um, but yeah, just really disappointing. Thoughts go him. out to him. That's,
1: yeah, yeah. Luckily, he's young. He's 18 years old. He's got plenty of uh, rugby in his future. So take your time, Jordan. Don't don't come back too quickly. Don't push yourself. Get nice and fit and healthy so you can play for many years to come for the for the Reds and hopefully the Wallabies as well. Next, we'll move on to a bit more of an exciting sort of game. Uh, Leo mentioned this earlier. The Sunwolves went to Waikato, t- took on the Chiefs, and for their first away game of the year, they got the win, and this is the first Sunwolves away win ever. Definitely their first one in New Zealand. Uh, get the win 15-30, to 30, the Sunwolves take it.
2: And just a, like an electric game, um, the, the Sunwolves really blew the Chiefs away nice and early and, and then kept them out of it. Uh, as they made made for a comeback later in the second half, and the Chiefs just had no shape. They last year they had a similar situation, lots of injuries. They Somehow battled on, battled through, and and we were really impressed when when they still managed to finish uh, quite quite well in in the whole competition. But this year they just don't seem to have that resolve as last year. They're, they're they're even more depleted. They've had guys leave and go overseas, and the Sunwolves are the team on the rise and leading comp in run metres. Um, they're, they're willing to attack, they're willing to throw everything at you and take a lot of risks. Uh, and, it, and it turns into quite entertaining rugby uh, when it comes off. Um, it comes with its fair share of um, issues and, and the samples are also leading for missed tackles and penalties. In the so they've got a few things they need to work on, but um, they're definitely bringing an exciting brand of rugby and, and uh, great for them, Great, great to build some momentum early in the season I think they're in New Zealand next week, so they're gonna to have to find the resolve to do it all again.
0: Yeah, well, it's gonna help that they got the blues coming back from Argentina and a winless tour. So that's um you're probably, you know, catching the two weakest New Zealand teams at the right time. The Chiefs, I don't know. I, I really didn't see this coming. I thought, you know, their back line looks strong enough. Um, they're still missing Alamalo, but I thought, you know, having McKenzie there back and Sean Stevenson at the back, I thought you know they're gonna they're gonna pull out a good performance here after being embarrassed um, against the Brumbies, but look the embarrassment keeps on rolling and who knows where they go from here. This this you know I guess they've got a few injuries like we've talked about and they've lost some senior guys, but I really didn't think they would be in the state they're in now. They really need to find some form because it's so easy in this New Zealand conference with so much quality floating around that if you get if you get on the wrong side of things you just have a quick slide. So. Yeah, we'll see how they go.
1: Well, they're not going to go that well in the next couple of weeks because they've got one of the hardest schedules I've seen. Yeah, listen to this and see what you think. Next week, they're heading to Canterbury to play the Crusaders and they come back home and they get to play the Hurricanes and then they go on their tour and they get to play the Bulls in Pretoria and then the Haguaro's in Argentina before their bye Ooh. week in Week 8.
2: Yeah, that's a tough run. Last year, someone who I think made made a big difference when they were a bit run down and needed a bit of, they need someone solid in their in their defensive line, someone like a Charlie Narto, who's able to move and play in a couple of different positions and bring bring a, a nice bit of poise to their game. And I think the type of player they're lacking now. They they can't rely on Mackenzie, he's still too erect. Um, he's just gonna try and force his hand where he needs to and run laterally until he finds a hole. Uh, run like that that you want guys who have some patience and composure. And I, I was very worried for the Chiefs. I didn't realise they had such a tough run this early in the season.
0: Yeah, in each game they seemed to, have, you know, lost even more. I mean, you would have thought they probably thought, okay, we've we've lost our first game. We go across. We should beat the Brumbies, and then we'll probably be able to beat the Sunwolves, and then we've got a tough run of games. And now they're zero and three. Mm. Um, we haven't seen that for a lot of years.
1: Exactly. Quick bit of trivia for you
2: on the on the successful team ten years ago. Where was Gerhard van der Heelen playing? Bulls. Oh, he's looked it up already.
0: I think they said it on the, the telecast. They did. Did they? Uh, last week, last uh, week. Yeah, yeah, they did last I week. I knew he'd played for the Bulls. I was going to say uh, that as well, but I didn't think it was 10 years ago. That's crazy.
2: 10 years ago, he was winning winning Super Rugby Premierships with the Bulls. So, uh, believe that. He's only 29. I don't remember him. One of the yeah. stars this week. Um, and just th- that's the type of player that these Sunwolves... The recruitment and and the coaching, they're they're looking outside to maybe move over to Europe, on to Japan, rallying them all together. And you've got some quality players. No one can underestimate these sumuls anymore. You've got to take them very seriously.
0: Well, you, you see that with Michael Little. Is it Sean Gates, the other one? Yeah. He's actually performing quite well. At Thirteen. Um, yeah, they've they've got some key players there. If they can keep them on the park and build those combinations further, I think. You know, Hayden Parker just continues to impress. Like, he just... Still 100% from the season. He's 100%. Yeah. And you got guys like Richie Moonga kicking, like, 40% at the moment, and then Hayden Parker just continues to do what he does. You know, maybe the Highlanders would like him back there at 10. Who knows?
1: <laughs> yeah, so d- great things to come, I think. And, yeah, the Sunwolves will be um, able to get up against the Blues or will be able to put in a strong performance against the Blues, I think. Um, with them coming back off that trouble, but, yeah, not not looking so good for the Chiefs. Uh, next, we'll go to the South African games, and the Lions hosted the Bulls in Johannesburg, and somehow, at least in our tipping comp, I was the only one to tip the Bulls in this, which I was surprised with, but the Bulls um, got, got on top of it, and they sort of ran away with it uh, a little bit, winning 30 points to 12.
0: Yeah, I don't know why I changed my tip. I just, I thought, look, at home, the Lions, surely, they bounce back. Um, after losing to the Stormans. I thought that may be a bit of an outlier there. And, you know, this is a, the battle of the, the high belt. I thought the Lions still probably had a little bit of a, an edge over the, the Bulls being at home. But, look, I think the Lions, we, we've talked about this. We talked about last year they made the final. But I think this is the year where they truly start to lose a bit of that form they've shown over the last three years.
2: Yeah, I think I needed to see another loss from the Lions to, to not be able to tip them anymore. I still have these, the memories of them being a solid team, particularly at home. There's no more Lion rage. They've all gone to sleep. Uh, and the, the Bulls, are, Bulls are playing really well as a unit. Um, interestingly, they seem to be favouring taking penalty goals over over kicking for the line and, and going for a lot of tries. Six penalty goals in this one, and Andre Pollard's kicking really well, so... Um, bit of a bit of a guide for any teams facing the Bulls soon. Manage your discipline because they'll they'll kick points from all over the, the half, and um, accumulate on you.
0: Yeah, and I think Pollard just outplayed Elton Yankees and that's it's clear now why you know Pollard is the the Springboks number ten. Mm. He just really leads that team around well, and he's got a lot of talent now outside him. Um, you know, obviously Jesse Krill, informs Speckman, guys like that, just plenty of firepower out wide so mm. I think the Bulls are, are looking maybe even the, the form South African team at the moment.
1: Yeah, I'd back you there and especially with people like you're saying, people like Dwayne Vermeulen coming back into that forward pack, um, he had a good try, got them started in this one after a, a few penalty goals but he's such a big human being, they couldn't stop him close to the line and interesting, Leo you'll probably love this as being the little stat man you are. Um, the Bulls are actually still yet to lose a lineout, so Brits their hooker is at a hundred percent efficiency in lineouts.
2: Well, we better keep have throwing time. to him then.
1: He's, <laughs> the, he's the hooker, mate. He'll throw the ball, but you know, yeah. they, they, oh they, sorry,
0: <laughs> <laughs> throw it up in the air to himself.
1: But yeah, i have also been very impressed with Papier, the young scrum half for for them um, for the Bulls. He seems to be taking control a bit more this year, uh, similar to something that I didn't say in the Reds, but Sarovi as well. Has been stepping up and taking more of a step of control this year, yelling at his forwards. But Papi has definitely been impressing. The other South African. Yeah, can
0: I just oh, uh, yeah. can I just cut in there? Yeah, so Robbie's like picking his forwards up off the ground and like saying "get yeah. up" and like dragging them into the next ruck. Did you yeah. see that? I it's love pretty the, I love seeing
1: that. That's so. Hurry up. That's stuff that like so Aaron good. Smith does like to his in the yeah, All Blacks exactly. and stuff. He's like yelling at people constantly, and you see the best <laughs> halfbacks are the ones that are loud and in your face and telling you exactly where they want you and directing the game. And Aaron Smith does yeah, it. I think Papio was yeah. doing it well and Sarovic's starting to do it. So he was definitely a bit quieter last year, but I like what I'm seeing from all three of those guys. Great stuff. Next we'll go to the other South African Derby and the Sharks and the Stormers. And it is true that it's starting to get really hard to pick what these South African teams are going to do week to week. Um, because everyone thought the Sharks were going to take this one. The Stormers, yep, they'd had a terrible loss and then got back up uh, in the 86th minute against the Lions last week. But the Sharks had been undefeated until this game, and at home they still managed to lose to a Stormers outfit. Very low-scoring game, 11 points to 16, but Stormers take it.
0: Yeah, on paper, I don't know how the Stormers did it, but they, they did it to the Lions last week and they've done it to the Sharks this week, so it's uh it's quite a lot of parity across these south african teams and like you say arch it's really tough to actually pick these derbies so i'm none the wise to for next week in terms of who i'm going to pick for some of the matchups but you know you can't write the stormers off obviously they don't look like the team that they were on paper but still they seem to be putting some
2: performances together i think there's a good chance i don't tip a single stormers game win loss this year like the, the games that they should lose, they win, and the games you think oh they might win, I reckon they'll probably end up losing. The Stormers team has the second fewest run metres of any team, and they haven't had a buy, so they're they're getting their few points off very few metres. How they how they're managing to pinch these games off off a team like the Sharks, which on paper again much stronger and in much more continuity from last season to this season, they've got the similar. Yeah, Sharks have just got a, a funny Jekyll and Hyde pair of personalities. They can, they can turn it on and they can completely lose the plot. So good luck to these teams the rest of the season, boys. I think the, the Bulls and the Haguaras are my, my two for the conference in South Africa.
1: Yeah, hey, it's amazing. One bad performance from the Sharks and we're, we're all bailing ship, whereas two weeks ago or a week ago even, I was still thinking that they're going to top the conference. Now I I just I can't pick it. I can't pick it at all at the moment.
0: On paper, the Sharks look amazing, but they just, yeah, they can't seem to quite put it all together on a consistent basis yet.
1: Mm. Uh, well, the only thing we can do is watch and see and see what they bring to it next week. A couple of a couple more South African derbies at least in that conference, next week to look forward to as well. Um, but don't worry, Leo, you won't have to tip the Stormers next week because they're on bye at least. One difficult decision you won't have to make. Um, so the last game, and we've already touched on it as well, the Hagiwaros and the Blues, and the Hagiwaros stay at home and stay in their winning ways. Taking this one from the Blues, but it was a bit closer than I think a lot of people expected. Toby, you'd be a bit happy with what you saw from the Blues. Still getting the loss, but at least taking a bonus point, 23-19.
0: Yeah, I was actually tempted to tip them, but I couldn't stomach you know, making another bad tip with my record this year, so <laughs> went conservative and it, it paid off. So, um, yeah, look the Jaguares look good. I think they've they've got a fair bit of confidence at the moment. They've got a lot of talent kind of across the whole team really, and they seem to have cut out a lot of those silly things that they were doing. They, a, a few of them crop up now and then, but I think at the moment they look like a team that could really threaten in the finals. I think.
1: Yeah. See. The Jaguars. I'm really interested to see what they can do away from home this year. Obviously, they went on that really great run last year, and I think they are still um, showing a lot of form. But at times, they do sort of seem to panic, and they don't quite keep to their structures. So it'll be interesting to see whether they can actually keep keep this form going once they go on tour into, into South Africa next week, um, and then a bit later in the season when they actually come. Uh, back to Australia and New Zealand again. But for the Blues, I'm still not really sure what their best lineup is. I don't know whether Otero Black is their best 10. Ma Nonu really hasn't impressed me that much at 12. He was definitely outplayed by his centre partner and TJ Fajoni in this one. And Sonny Bill Williams still looked a bit threatening off the bench. Um, so it's difficult to really say exactly what the Blues need to correct for themselves. Yeah, look, I think if they can get some
0: consistency having Nonu and Sonny Bill Williams William starting um, in the centres there, it might actually be able to you know, give these really inexperienced 10s a, a bit more support because at the moment, there's, there just seems to be a lot of changes week to week in that back line and, and no one really has a set position at the moment. So I think that's what's getting them into trouble.
2: And you think that maybe some of the Sonny Bill and Nonu um, benching and resting... Is that part of the All Blacks plan and limitations? And maybe after week three, we will see some consistency as long as they're healthy. I agree with you, Toby, Bill, Nonu, centre pairing. You'd think is the pairing that they've tried to construct in the off-season, right? They've got those two guys together to play beside each other like that. That takes a lot of pressure off the 10. They can afford to have a, a young 10. If they can just put the ball in Bill's hand and get the outside backs coming off his shoulder, you know you're going to make metres and offloads and line breaks. So, if if they can just get that piece together, maybe after this first three rounds where they had the imposed limitation on minutes, they can do that.
0: Well, it's been a, I mean it's been a tough tour for them. They've not got a win, and they lost one of their ex squad members during the week, so it hasn't been a good run for them. But hopefully they can kind of bond together through this tough time, and uh, you know they've got the Sunwolves coming up, which you know it's a, probably a bit easier for them even though they beat the Chiefs on the weekend. So we'll have to see how they go. But again, we've been let
1: down a little bit by the Blues this year. Mm, That's all right, Toby. It happens to the best of us. I I feel your pain from last year. Um, That's all the games we have from round three. Um, We also had the round two of the Super W over the weekend and Queensland Rugby taking on Rugby WA. Uh, For some reason, they've dropped their sort of Western Force title in there. But up in Queensland, and the home team took this one 28-3. A lot more competitive game, but uh, after 50, mi- 50 minutes it was only 8-3 in this, but two late interception tries from the Queensland Reds, uh, able to take it away from the Western Australian girls, so a uh, bit of a hard start to their Super W games this year. Rugby WA, but they'll look to improve next week. Um, the other game was the Brumbies versus the Rebels, and I'm afraid the Rebels are just looking a bit out of their depth in this with the Brumbies running away 11 tries to none uh, and 69-0 to the Brumbies. Uh, first half hat-trick for number 8, Taylor Stanford for the Brumbies uh, looked really good in this game as well as a double for Cruthers at fullback too and on the back of standout performances from Sammy Wood, their halfback. Uh, the, the Rebels do have a little glimmer of hope through some of their backs. Georgia Page... Uh, was being a bit threatening, but continuous turnovers and poor defence just just left them out of this as well.
0: Uh, Tim, what was this controversy with the Australian Wallaroos captain?
1: Yeah, so Liz Padu, uh, one of the Wallaroos players, was actually caught on tape in a ruck, um, intentionally biting. It was even one of her teammates, uh, Rebecca Clough, one of the lock from um, Rugby WA. Uh, so... It was initially brought up after the second rower came to the rope and showed her the bite mark on her arm, um, and then they went to the tape and they could actually see it, so unfortunately they are unable to act in the actual game, but you'll definitely see more from this, and I expect a fairly lengthy suspension to be handed out to Liz Pato uh, later on this week. Yeah, that's
0: kind of rare. I mean, you don't see that a lot, particularly in the you know the modern game or internationals, but It's um, pretty clearly on camera there, I saw a bit of the footage, and that's not a good look for someone that's the captain particularly, so you'd have to think that she'll probably be rubbed out for a number of games.
1: Definitely rough. So let's move on to round four, Super Rugby Tipping, and we're starting on Friday evening, and this should be an exciting one, with the Hurricanes' recent return to form, they're hosting the Highlanders coming back to Wellington at the cake tin.
0: I think it'll be an absolute cracker this one. If the Highlanders particularly can put out their full strength lineup, this is probably the game that they you know, were kind of preparing for after the Rebels game. And Hurricanes look like they're firing again, so I think it's going to be a high scoring affair. I think the back lines, it's going to be a clash of two pretty good back lines there. So I'm going to take the Hurricanes. They're at home. I think they're starting to find their feet in this competition again.
2: Yeah, I'm exactly the same. Uh, I'll take the established back line. Spine of uh, the Hurricanes over the Highlanders, but I think the Highlanders will stay in touch. Uh, probably still seven to seven to ten margin.
1: Yeah, it'd be exciting, especially if both teams go back to full form. It'll definitely be an exciting game to watch. Um, but I'm gonna have to join you, boys, taking the Hurricanes. The last five games between these two teams, going back to sort of 2016, have always been won by the home team. So they managed to get up at home in front of the home crowd, and the Hurricanes surely will be looking to improve on their performance from last week and um, Laomarpie and Savit uh, to run through a few of the Highlanders as well. Uh, next game we have is the Rebels versus the Brumbies, and this is a replay of Round 1 already, now and down in Melbourne uh, at Amy Park, but will the Brumbies be able to take a little bit of revenge from Round 1?
2: Look, I think they'd like to, but I've seen the Rebels play two, two games and get two wins going, but I think the Rebels at home are probably the stronger team. The Brumbies certainly have the, the class to challenge and beat them. I'm, I'm sticking with the Rebels, I think, on paper. They're, they're stronger around the park and more continuity player-to-player player with combinations. Still still well-established.
1: Yeah, I'm going to have to take the Rebels as well. I'll be interested to see, and I'll, I'll put the question to you boys. Do you see Reese Hodge coming back into this lineup after last week? We sort of talked about where he would fit. Um, and then it makes it even harder. We were talking about maybe thirteen, but then Tom English had a double last week. So,
0: yeah, I think Reese will continue to kind of slowly get back into to full fitness and match fitness. I think he'll continue to come off the bench um, until there's one of those guys in perhaps the centres or on the wing that doesn't quite perform well on a consistent basis, and he finds his way back into that starting fifteen.
2: Yeah, I agree. It's it's almost. Uh... A blessing for Wessels that he's a smart coach he might look at this as an opportunity to really ease Hodge back in and wait for someone potentially someone else gets injured or, or falls out of form and you've got a, a wallaby great reserve there and if you make sure he's absolutely pristine health before you bring him back in well that's, that's the advantage. there's still plenty of time for Hodge to, to show his skills for the World Cup so he's probably not too worried about coming off the bench in another game or two so long as he gets a decent run
0: yeah, fair yeah exactly. For me, I'm the same. I'm taking the Rebels. I think they've got the momentum. I think they can build off, you know, two pretty solid wins. Seeing the Brummies again this soon is, is kind of strange. They're going to be quite fired up after having such a topsy-turvy kind of two weeks. So I think it's going to be a really good game. But I think being down in Melbourne particularly, again, the, the Rebels have the, the form at the moment. Um, and they should get this done if they're the team we think they are.
1: Yeah, agreed. And moving on to New Zealand, and this is a early afternoon game on Saturday at 3.15pm, and it's the Crusaders hosting the Chiefs, and I don't think there's going to be much question between any of us, with uh, the Chiefs doing what they've been doing over the last three weeks. Uh, we have an undefeated team versus a winless team, uh, I'm definitely taking the Crusaders, and I think the Crusaders, by a good few, I reckon they get up by 15+. plus.
0: Yeah, you'd have to think that the Crusaders will crush the Chiefs in this one. They, normally, this is quite a competitive game and a bit of a rivalry. Um, but at the moment, the Chiefs are just so out of form. And the Crusaders, even with a second-string lineup, seem to be able to win games. So, um, yeah, I can see them coming out and just being absolutely dominant um, and, and controlling the game. So, Crusaders for mine.
2: Yeah, I also think Crusaders, the, the Chiefs, just haven't shown it yet. They don't have the nerves to bring back into the team. Um, and and stiffen up their their forward or their backs, so except a, a fairly one-way affair. Mm. hopefully
1: we'll see anton leonard Brown return to the Chiefs lineup in this because he's been sort of one of the shining um, stars in the first two weeks in terms of helping that back line function a bit better. Uh, five thirty five on Saturday afternoon we have the blues hosting the sun Wolves.
0: oh this is this is a tough one because the blues have been traveling and they've had to deal with a fair bit of adversity, but I actually think that the Blues coming home will do it. I think the Sunwolves had their game to win in New Zealand for the first time away from home. I think that was a big milestone for them, but I can't see them doing it two weeks in a row. Um, any team visiting New Zealand and wearing, winning two on the trot is, is pretty rare. So I think the Blues will probably name a, a, a fully fit liner, hopefully with Sonny Bill back in there and um, Nonu fired up. I think they're, they're going to get a win finally.
2: Yeah, I kind of agree with uh, Toby. It does depend on the Blues getting that selection, getting those selections right and, and having everyone at full strength. Um, but history is against the Sunwolves. Two wins in New Zealand's very rare. They may have consumed a lot of energy pulling out that win last week. Uh, the Blues coming home, they're, they're off the back of their big tour. So they've got that out of the way. Hopefully a, uh, a bit more composure now. They can settle in at home and, and get the job done against the Sunwolves.
1: Nah, boys, give me the Sunwolves. Give me the Sunwolves! Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> they played two games in the past, both both um, in Tokyo, Prince Chichibu. But this, I believe, the Sunwolves got their first ever win in Super Rugby against the Blues uh, back not last year, the year before. Um, let me just double check it. I think, yeah, towards the end in twenty seventeen, yeah, they they won a game forty eight to twenty one against the Blues. So I reckon they've they've got a reasonable run of the history. Look, they're they're not travelling at all. I reckon they're going to take what they did against the Chiefs and they're going to apply it to the Blues, and I don't know if the Blues can uh, truly survive against that high-class, high-functioning, sort of really ultra-lightning quick game that the Sunwolves are playing at the moment. So give me the Sunwolves.
2: All yours, buddy. All yours.
1: (laughs) Next we have the bit of a derby back in Australia, and the Waratahs coming off their bye, playing at the SCG, the cricket stadium, versus the Reds. Uh, bringing them down. I don't know if the Tars will have been watching what the Reds did versus the Crusaders. Have the Crusaders given them a game plan to to take down the Reds?
2: Arch, I don't think the Waratahs will necessarily want to emulate what the Crusaders did. I don't think it was impressive and I don't think it was a consistent plan either. Um, but the Waratahs 1-15 to 15, um, much more experienced uh, outfit at home. The, the Reds still raw, and, and now down a a player to around like Jordan Patea. Um, not that that's everything. Like Samu Karevi is obviously an excellent player as well and, and will be the focus of that back line now. But it's just one less really um, real star player to defend. And, and the Waratahs, if they if they get the back line that I'm hoping for with NXT back on the wing, Carmichael Hunt doing really well, um, just have to make sure Beal doesn't turn into a turnstile. And I think this, this could be... Uh, slightly one-sided. I, I don't know what the Reds have got over the Waratahs in any one area.
1: Yeah, i got to agree. I think I think the Tars will take this one. Uh, I think the Reds will be able to keep it close early, but yeah, I think you're right, especially with the reshuffle resu- in their back line. Um, I'm hoping that we see uh, the Reds bring in someone like Filippo Dalgunu back into their starting team, since they're going to probably shift Chris Folway sotier into 13 um, to cover Jordan Patea. Uh, because he does add a little bit of a spark to that back line and he's a bit more of a, a try-scorer in himself. But, yeah, I think I think the Waratahs' backs will will probably have the rub of them and, and had too many points in them.
0: Yeah, it's about points in this game. I I think the Waratahs just have too much firepower in that back line. You know, having Geordie Patea gone, I think that really probably puts a bit of a dent in the, the red season and their attacking um, stocks, I think, are... Uh, A bit limited now. Um, But look, they've got the physicality in the forwards and and that's something the Tars have to be worried about. That Reds front row, they're type five. They're going to be super physical with this Tars pack. Um, And although the Tars are kind of getting together things a bit with, say, Jed and um, Jack Dempsey, Ned Hannigan, guys like that improving, the physicality in that Reds pack and at the set piece might be a bit of a challenge for the Tars. So that's probably the only... Thing I'd be concerned with if I was the Waratahs, and as long as they can keep that Reds Ford pack at bay, I think that they get some go forward, they'll score tries, and they they should win this game.
1: Difficult one, this one coming up, another rematch of Round One when the Lions are hosting the Jaguares in Johannesburg this time. And talking about difficult ones to pick, it's it doesn't get much harder than
2: this. So you're on the fence, Arch?
1: I'm I'm waiting. I'm waiting to for something to push me one way or the other. I think. I want to take the Haguaros, but I think like you boys, the Lions at home, and they already have the win over the Haguaras, um, went in South America this year. So it's it's a, a difficult one for me to say that, that the Haguaris won. I'm leaning that way, though. I'm leaning that the Hags... Yeah,
0: it's, it is a really tough game. When I was putting my tip, I just still... Every time I tip against the Lions or go to tip against the Lions, I kind of have to second-guess myself in some ways because I'm so used to Lions being strong. But Jaguar is – I actually think they should have won that game at home against the Lions. I think they were the better team that day as well. So it's whether the Lions can can bounce back here. And I think their forward pack just isn't strong enough at the moment. They're, they're playing with guys like Quagga Smith and Shoo, uh, Manus Schumann or whatever his name is on the side of the scrum. Um, so they're a very lightweight pack um, they didn't have Marvin Ori on the weekend they're missing some key guys and even Malcolm Marks isn't probably the, the player he was last year so it's um it's going to be tough for the Lions, I think this could be a really tight game and if the Hagwaris, um progress like we think they are I think they should get this game they, they seem to be scoring points and they seem to be filled with confidence so I'll take them um, like you say Arch, I think Team sheets are gonna be important, but look I'm gonna go with the Haguares.
2: Yeah, I agree with Toby. I think the Haguears probably should have won that round one game against the Lions. So being that, that they missed out, they'll they'll feel like some some unfinished business to yeah. go down Joburg. and Joburg and the Lions, I don't know, again they they're not showing it for me. if they got away with one um, against the Hags and then and then last week so disappointing. Um, I think the Aguilera's can do this, and not to forget that they toured strongly last year. They're, they're not a not a bad touring team, so I'll back them week one like I did last year.
1: Fair enough, and the final game of the round is the Bulls take on the Sharks, Dak and Pretoria, and the Bulls looking like they might be the strongest South African team, but if the Sharks are on their game, they could easily pull out a victory here. Yeah, this is another tough one,
0: and I think... Probably because the Bulls are at home, that swung me. I'm, I'm going to take the Bulls. Um, I think they're probably playing a slightly smarter game at the moment than the Sharks. Um, but no doubt the Sharks do have the talent there in that team to to get this one as well. So I think it's going to be another close one, um, another unpredictable derby. But give me the Bulls at altitude. Yeah,
2: Bulls at altitude for me. Um, looking like a stronger team. Um, Sharks. Shark will definitely stay in it if. But there's still that raw raw side, a little bit unpolished. So I don't think that's going to change from last week to this week. I think the Bulls can take this at home and, and stamp their authority on this conference.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to probably have to go the same way. The only thing that has stopped the Bulls in recent weeks uh, when they took on the Hagiwaras was the weather, the really wet and slippery weather that stopped them being to able to use their quick men out wide and un- unleash people like Speckman. So... I think as long as they have a dry track to play on, uh, they'll be able to combat the Bulls up front and the big men and they'll be able to outpace them out wide. So definitely going to take the Bulls. So that's all Super Rugby has. Uh, Just an update with something a competition that we don't really talk about too much here on the Running Rugby podcast, but it is going on in the background and that's the American Rugby Championship. So that's a six-team conference um, playing throughout North and South America against each other. And we've had four rounds so far, and the Argentina fifteen are undefeated in that. So it'd be interesting to compare this team compared to what the Haguara's are bringing in terms of what what their national team is going to look like. Uh, but they're followed closely by Uruguay, who has three wins and one loss, and then a mattering of the other teams. USA and Brazil are both at fifty percent, at two and two, and Canada and Chile um, at the at the back there. Chile having yet to win a game. But showing, showing a bit more strength from Uruguay here, um, being above sort of USA. And I keep seeing things about this Brazilian scrum and the Brazilian sort of forwards um, being a bit of a immense force as well. Yeah, I do too. That's exactly what I
0: was going to say. I, <clears throat> I'm not sure exactly where that's coming from, whether that's a, a new thing this year or they've been kind of building up that reputation over the last couple, but... Um, interesting to see because obviously football in South America is the the most popular sport by far. Um, But, you know, Brazil's a massive market and large population there, so if you can get more people playing rugby, that could definitely turn into a a nation that could kind of rival Argentina over time, I think.
1: Yeah, definitely. got definitely the population, and hopefully we'll see a little bit more of them in the future coming into a few of these games and whether they get... Into a stage where they could challenge to get into a World Cup, uh, we'll, only time will tell. Um, but that's pretty much all we have from us here this week and the Running Rugby Podcast. Um, thanks again for tuning in, everyone. As always, we'll ask you to keep updated with all the team lists as they come out. That'll be through our Twitter at Running Rugby Pod or on Facebook at Running Rugby Podcast. Of course, we are on all the. Um, podcasting networks in terms of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher or Google Play so feel free to tell your friends, get them to download us, have a listen and remember guys, get watching this week support these Australian teams, hopefully we can get the Sunwolves as our token Australian team as well from our conference, get up against the Blues as well. So do me proud Sunwolves and keep on running Run.
0: Problem really is going to lie at number
1: 10 after that because
0: they're outside backs 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 backs
1: have you just went they're outside backs the backs the backs the backs the backs the backs the backs and like echoed and then stopped the backs the backs. I'm going to okay oh he's his at the backs the backs the backs the backs the backs